Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, this webinar again for Global Net 21 and Enfield Voices. I'm Francis Seeley, and I with others do regular webinars like this. And today we're going to look at a, uh, an issue that we've looked at many times, um, both in our posts on social networks and, and in webinars, and that's the incineration problem that many people think is a real problem in terms of public health and climate change. And in Edmonton, there is a, a big incinerator going to be built to replace the old one. And we've had lots of debate on that and lots of people involved. And what we're doing today is we're going to talk about to talk to Katie English, because Katie is, is a student who's just done her master's dissertation and she's done it on the incinerator and public health and activism as well. And so let's talk to her about it because it's interesting to find out what she found when she was doing her research. So Katie, thanks, you know, for joining us today. That's, that's, that's really great. Um, so can I begin if you could just tell us very, very briefly indeed a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, of course. So I'm very happy to be here. Um, and it's a bit about my background. So I've done an undergraduate degree in geography at Queen Mary University of London. And then I went straight on to do a master's at University College London, just completed that. And that was in environmental politics. So that's where I'm at the moment. Well, you're at that point in a big way with this uh, dissertation, which is really yes. good. I mean, why, why did you choose to do this particular topic, public health, incineration and environmentalism? So there's so many different reasons as to why I chose to pursue these three main topics. It's mainly because we are currently experiencing a global climate emergency and also a national waste emergency. And at the moment, incineration is marketed as a sustainable alternative to landfill. Um, which will help to address this national waste emergency and the global climate emergency. Though there's evidence that has proven that incineration does have long-term and short-term health impacts and environmental impacts. And also what I found really interesting uh, prior to starting this dissertation is that the Mayor of London has announced that the city is experiencing a toxic air health crisis. So I wanted to investigate that further. And also I feel like Although environmentalism explores social mobilization, I personally have no prior experience with environmentalism. So I wanted to explore that on a deeper level. I wanted to see how everybody at the local level is investing in environmentalism, what they believe environmentalism to be, because I personally believe it's a subjective term. It's not just one fit definition for all. And I really wanted to explore that further. Okay, so the, the two issues, one's sustainability and the other's public health. Yes. I mean, what link is there, do you think, between incineration and public health? So the main link, I believe, between incineration and public health is that incineration contributes to air pollution, which is contributing to the current toxic air health crisis that the city is experiencing. And what I mean by that is, is that the incineration process, during that process, when um, smoke is released from the, the plumes, sorry, getting tongue-tied here, um, what happens essentially is that it not only releases harmful nitrous oxides and dioxides, it also releases ultrafine particulate matter, particularly PM1 and PM0.1, which are recognised by the World Health Organisation. And those specific ultrafine particulate matter in combination with the dioxides and oxides that are released uh, are linked to respiratory disease and also pulmonary inflammation and dysfunction. 
Is it true that the, the particulates that you mentioned yes. are ones that can't really be captured in the way that, you know, the, the incinerator industry would like to think it can be? That's absolutely correct. So the energy recovery facility that the um, North London Waste Authority is currently marketing, uh, the technology used to that, the clean emissions technology, cannot filter out this ultrafine particulate matter, which is directly linked to causing respiratory disease. I mean, it also causes premature um, premature um, deaths, doesn't it, in terms of babies? I mean, something like 8%, between 7 and 8% of the deaths caused are by, um, you know, the burning of waste. Now, is that all incineration? So, no, that's not actually all incineration, but incineration is a main contributor to that. So another way that... Um, Air pollution causes deaths, it's mainly from congestion. So traffic congestion, diesel engines, that sort of thing. But burning waste itself is a massive contributor to these long-term health impacts. I mean, it's interesting you said that because when you talk to the North London Waste Authority, they say, don't bother with us, deal with congestion and traffic. That's the big problem, yeah. We're just a small little bit. I mean, how do you respond to that? So I completely disagree with their statement. I do believe that incineration is a main contributor to air pollution and the rising cases of respiratory disease, childhood asthma, all those kinds of things. Um, because when you see the size of the incinerator and how much waste is burned per year, I believe it's 700,000 tonnes of waste they're planning to burn annually. And essentially what happens is for every tonne of waste burned, a ton of CO2, carbon dioxide, is released into the atmosphere. So I would say that it's a massive contributor, um, not as much as traffic congestion. I understand that London's a very busy city, people need to go places, but you know, we also produce a lot of waste because of consumerism. So I would say it's a massive issue that definitely needs to be addressed and made more sustainable or phased out, or definitely phased out, sorry. Well, I mean, you mentioned that one ton of burnt waste results in one tonne of carbon dioxide. So here we're talking about sustainability as well as public health, we're talking about climate change and so on, because CO2 carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. Now, the North London Waste Authority would say, yeah, well, we know this is a problem, but we've got the most up-to-date technology to deal with this. You needn't worry about it. Should we be worried? I think we should be. Personally, I believe that because from my research, I discovered through talking with participants and then also doing uh, my own research, compiling primary and secondary data that the clean emissions technology used by, uh, planned to be used by the North London Waste Authority for this energy recovery facility um, does not filter out the ultrafine particulate matter, which is quite worrying. Um, and furthermore, there is mapping data that does suggest that the, uh, the smoke, the plumes, um, the smoke blows over multiple primary schools uh, on a daily basis, which is a massive concern for me because that will be affecting children and potentially increasing the risk of childhood asthma. 
Oh, so so you think it is is a major problem, and uh, that yeah. that that's something really interesting because of what North uh, London Waste Authority say, and and the local politicians. I mean, does it surprise you that they are so resistant and they keep saying this when the science is changing on this all the time, and you know there's more and more evidence that incineration is a problem, and across the globe incineration you, you see is beginning to slowly come to an end and I think even the shadow minister has said the age of incineration is over yeah um, I mean you know why do you think they're so stubborn in their in, in following a plan that's something like 10 or 15 years old so I think the reason why they're so stubborn or um, adamant to stick with their current plan is because incineration can be seen as a quick fix to addressing the national waste emergency. Um, as I mentioned before with um, consumerism, so much waste is being produced on a daily basis, especially in the city, that they may believe that sustainable alternatives for waste management and disposal will not be as effective as incineration because of the amount of waste they can collect and burn um, annually. I mean, did you find any evidence to show that where there is incineration, then there are lower levels of recycling. And when there isn't an incineration incinerator close uh, to the area, then recycling is better. I did. I did. Um, I did a primary analysis of that. And I did find that, unfortunately, areas where incinerators are present, the levels of recycling are much, much lower, um, especially in Edmonton, actually. But in London as a whole, I believe it's got the lowest rate of recycling across the whole of the United Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, Enfield has an ambitious recycling target. They don't tell us how they're getting there. Um, and yet they they support the incinerator, which might make it even more difficult for them to get there. That, you know, let's look at some of the things you've done on activism, because it's quite interesting. I mean, it's obviously the incinerator has caused a lot of concern and a lot of anger amongst communities. And you say you've done a mapping exercise, which is sort of really interesting. Maybe you can tell us about that. What was that mapping exercise? Of course. So through speaking with my participants in the study, um, one of them suggested to me this website called Plume Plotter. So that is accessible to everybody online and through this website you are actually able to locate the incinerators across the United Kingdom and see where the, the smoke that's emitted from their plumes from burning the waste spreads. So that's where I collected my mapping data from and I found that with the Edmonton incinerator as I mentioned earlier the, uh, the smoke's plumes Sorry, the plumes that emit the smoke, I'm getting tongue-tied again, um, the smoke does spread over quite a lot of Edmonton, but also into other areas such as Chingford, Walthamstow, all around that region. Um, and on a particular day that I was looking at it, it did show, um, I have a screenshot in my dissertation actually, that it was blowing over six or seven different primary schools, which is a massive concern to me. But I mean, you also found, I think, and, and others as well have found that uh, it, 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 where there's an incinerator, then it's more likely, isn't it, that um, poorer areas, three times more likely, in fact, that poorer areas are going to be affected yes. than richer areas. And, and does that increase the inequalities of health? Absolutely. 
I think it absolutely increases the inequalities of health. Again, through speaking with my participants, I was made aware of this one particular example that I'd love to share with you. Um, so there was an incinerator planned to be built in Cambridgeshire uh, a little while ago. Um, this, this story is also accessible on Unearth. And the incinerator was rejected, essentially. It was rejected because they believed that it would um, ruin the landscape. It would ruin what people believe Cambridgeshire to be. And I found that very interesting because why is an incinerator rejected um, in sunny Cambridgeshire, but the one of the exact same size and the exact same capacity is being approved in Edmonton, an area that is way more socioeconomically deprived, is actually in the top 10% of deprived areas across the nation, across England. And it's just something that I think really is food for thought because it does bring race and class into play. Well, some people say, how does it bring race into play? So, you know, some people have been surprised. What do you mean by environmental racism? It's not racism. But what you're talking about, aren't you, is what you call the geography of belonging. Yeah. And you're talking about the fact that it's not that it's individual racism, it's not people no. being racist, it's about systematic system-based yeah. racism. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, of course I can. Sorry, I think there's something I skipped over. I didn't actually explain why it's a race issue and a class issue. So um, with with the term of with race, so Edmonton is has a very high proportion of black indigenous people of color. Um, so it's over 50% for both wards for Upper Edmonton and Edmonton. In contrast to Cambridgeshire, the, the level or the, the rate of Black Indigenous people of colour is much lower. And also Edmonton has more working class residents, whereas Cambridgeshire has more middle class residents. So that's where race and class come into play within that and why it also affects the, the geographies of belonging you are. So with the geographies of belonging, it it's all down to if you feel you belong within that area you know your sense of identity so to speak and i do feel like this this may affect how people feel they belong in an area because it's not it's not nice is it to um to think well why was something of this size of this capacity um of this nature rejected in this area whereas it's being approved in mine yeah, I mean, but you know, interviewing people like Ferriel Clark, the MP for the North and others, and I think Bambos as well, they said, yeah, I mean, we don't really want incinerators, but there's no other reason, um, there's no other way in which we can get rid of, of the waste. And what they said about the geography of race or environmental racism point is they say, well, it's not really because, you know, the incinerator was there a long time ago before there was a huge number of people from different ethnic minorities. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Because for a lot of people, they sort of picked up their ears and thought that doesn't quite, you know, stand up really. Yeah, I do. That that definitely sticks out to me, that statement. That's quite shocking. Um, no, I, I definitely think this is an environmental racism issue as much as it's a class issue. If, if we think of the geographies of belonging, it refers to connecting matter to place. So we are essentially connecting an incinerator to something that in the long term is going to produce devastating health impacts, social impacts, environmental impacts to a particular place that does have 
high level of ethnic minority residents and it was rejected in an area where there was a low proportion of ethnic minority residents and a high proportion of middle class individuals. So I think that statement is quite shocking because we, yeah, I just believe that although he is trying to, they're trying to justify that, it, it's not justifiable. Uh, it's interesting that you say that, you know, there's an element of environmental racism, and I think a lot of people agree with that. The surprising mm. thing is, though, that it's been hard to get BAME communities, ethnic minorities, involved in the campaign. So there seems to be a sort of contradiction there. How would you explain that? Okay, so what I understood from my research is when I interviewed my participants, they had all made an effort within their respective groups to engage with the local community or the people within their area. Unfortunately, they weren't able to engage with um, ethnic minority residents as much as they were able to engage with um, other groups. And there were many different reasons for this. Um, and there were many practices used by the activists to reach out to ethnic minority residents and get them involved in this discourse, in this topic. And one main thing that sticks out to me is the idea of um, environmental philosophies, climate beliefs and perceptions. So from my research, I kind of gathered maybe it's actually that the, the mainstream environmental philosophies and climate beliefs that um, we have, not not the groups that I investigate or the participants, but maybe as a collective, what we have as a mainstream ideology isn't necessarily um, encompassing or encapsulating the, the environmental philosophies and climate beliefs of these underrepresented groups. And that's why they may feel um, not explicitly excluded, but they may feel like their beliefs and views aren't as necessarily uh, valued as much as these mainstream beliefs and philosophies are. And do you think that uh, culturally, environmentalism has traditionally been a white middle class movement and, you know, sort of, you know, widening that out to other communities is a real challenge that the environmental Absolutely. movement has really not come to terms with yet? Yes. So I think academia in itself, um, it's shown how environmentalism has become this arena for racial thinking and we must question how race has become significant in a discourse that is initially unrelated to race. So how does environmental racism occur? You know, how are we overlooking certain aspects? Like why are they being so easily overlooked? Is it that we just don't have enough input from um, ethnic minority groups, but also why do ethnic minority groups feel excluded from the conversation, from the discussion? Is it, as I said before, is it a, a conflicting thing of environmental philosophies, climate beliefs, or is it something more? Um, and one thing I actually found particularly interesting is when I was talking to some of my participants, um, one group that I looked at, uh, they do do large scale mass protests in central London. And what I found is that unfortunately some of those practices used during the protests in central London, so people are used as arrestables, can not can exclude um, ethnic minority groups because of the historical relationships they may have with the police and that kind of oppression. So it's also considering those kinds of things as well. So 
of the people who have got involved then mm -hmm. in the campaign against incinerator, how did they get involved? What were the avenues they chose to get involved through? The people that I spoke to tried everything that they possibly could to engage the local community, to you know raise awareness about the incinerator. And there were so many different ways that they did this. And my heart really goes out to them because they put 110% effort into everything they did. Um, especially during this pandemic as well. It's incredibly hard to connect people given social distancing and the fact that COVID-19 is unfortunately still among us. But um, so there were many ways. And one of the main ways they did this was with online presence and engagement. So they really did try to, to raise awareness through creating social media accounts and Twitter, or Facebook, trying to do Zoom meetings, um, also Skype meetings as well, just to, you know, try and engage local community and then another way that they also did this was outreach so prior to the pandemic they would do leafleting they would um, put up stalls as well in our local supermarkets to raise awareness one particular story that um that i enjoy is uh one particular group went and um set up a stall in a local supermarket just as the north london waste authority had set up a stall in the same supermarket and they were they were challenging each other you know throwing things across and um you know disproving these claims that the north london waste authority was was feeding the community all this misinformation um and there are so many other ways as well that they did try and engage the community so not just through leafleting um online presence they did lobbying as well when they were allowed to prior to the pandemic um lobbying like local council meetings as well there are many, many things that they did to try and increase engagement. But there was there a sort of cohesive approach or did everyone do their own thing? And when everyone did their own thing, the thing that they did might have alienated another group. Did you find there were problems in people doing things in ways that others didn't like? Yes. Yes, I did. So, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so there were a few things that came to light, but I'll only I'll mention a couple. So although the, the activists tried everything that they could to increase community engagement, to raise awareness about the incinerator, there were some practices that were met with a, a kind of friction, so to speak. So um, I remember there was one particular uh, group that had tried their hardness, hardest to raise awareness and they had an online account on a social media platform and they were constantly posting updates as they should about the progress the incinerator was making and um, the responses of local councillors and MPs and whatnot and um, one particular point they raised was in reference to the plume plotter site that I mentioned earlier so it was about how all of the, um, the toxic smoke would spread over um, these local primary schools in the area affecting the community and causing these long-term health impacts and short term as well. And a local community group actually conflicted with this activist group because of the information they had been told by the North London Waste Authority. So this local community group was, um, was um, focused on the idea that incineration wasn't bad, instead it would provide job creation and help alleviate social inequality and they were less focused on the environmental impacts. And these were the, the social benefits they had been told of by the Waste Authority. And they were also, again, um, doing the environmental impacts 
they weren't as concerned with that because of the information the authority had provided them with, with saying that the clean emissions technology would filter out the toxic, um, toxic gases, ultrafine particulate matter that was being released during the incineration process. And the activist group responded really respectfully to, these, um, to the friction and really tried their best to, to share their perspective, but there was still a clash there. And did, did, did the different groups have a focus of who the, as to who they were going to pressurise? I mean, was it the government? Was it the councillors? Was it the North London Waste Authority? I mean, who were they aiming at? MPs, for example, who were they trying to influence most? So the, um, the, the activist groups were, how do I phrase this? So they were, um, there were many different uh, places and people that they were trying to influence it wasn't just one set person so there was an end goal which was to decommission the incinerator but they each went about it in different ways and agreed on some ways with other groups on how to pursue this and disagreed in other ways and tried other routes so um the end goal essentially was to decommission the incinerator to challenge the North London Waste Authority but there were many ways in which they did this with these particular groups so they all felt that national government wasn't focusing enough at the local level with incineration and the way that they went about raising their concerns to local government included writing letters to local councillors and MPs um, and also when the local councillors and MPs responded to these concerns, the ones that did respond and were very empathetic and understanding, they were able to feature on an annual general meeting set up by the North London Waste Authority once this incident had gained so much traction. So this happened back in the summer of last year, I believe it must have been in June. And this annual general meeting actually caused quite some upset because the way that the chairman of the uh, North London Waste Authority, Clyde, looked, I watched this myself, it was a live stream on YouTube, um, dealt with the, the MPs that were present on this, the councillors, um, that were voicing the concerns of the local community. Uh, I believe that there was, there was one MP, no councillor, sorry, from Tottenham, um, I won't name them, that voiced her concerns because on behalf of the local community as well as to how the, the incinerator and air pollution is affecting her child, her son. And the response from the chairman was that her her expression her empathy the what she said what she voiced was a reason as to why she would never be in power and, and that really angered me because he didn't seem to talk to 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 men on this panel the same way that he spoke to women and he didn't seem to acknowledge the the class and the race issues that were that were associated with the incinerator. And that to me shows a lack of empathy, a lack of understanding. And just when someone in that position is not listening to the voices of the community, of, you know, of the community, of the people representing the community, that's obviously going to cause anger and upset and friction. And that's why the activists chose to keep on fighting to push further and go up to government at that point. Um, and they are still fighting and I'm incredibly proud of them for doing so.
Yeah, I um, I did a recording at that meeting you're talking about with the North yes. London Waste Authority, and I saw that bit about you know telling a person she wasn't fit to govern, and it was really really bad. And uh, exactly. uh, you know, I think everyone felt uh, felt uh, you know that he was not a very good chairman and not a very good listener. Yeah. Overall, though, I mean, with incineration, do you think? It, I mean, they tell you it's about climate change. They tell you waste to, um, you know, to energy is a way of having a circular economy. Um, and they argue that and say, they say that's a part of their climate change agenda. But you would argue, wouldn't you, that it prevents green growth and it prevents sustainability. I mean, why do you think they argue differently? So I believe they argue differently because of where their heads are at. Basically, I believe that they're more focused on making a profit than they are in making a change that benefits the people. I know that's quite a strong thing to say, but that's how I truly feel after conducting this research and speaking to the participants, speaking to the local community and understanding their concerns and their feelings and empathising with them as to how they are being ignored. Because I was an outsider in this project. I'd never been an environmental activist before. Um, I was obviously involved in environmentalism in the sense that I understood what was going on academically, theoretically, but I'd never been involved practically. This is something that has inspired me to be involved practically. Um, but yes, anyway, back to the, the question about as to why they, um, they may still push forward with incineration and why they might ignore um, what, what I believe. Um, so again, I think it's due to financial incentives to the plan being uh, have progressed over a 10 to 15 year period. I believe that they are focused on it as the fact that it will be a quick fix to addressing the waste emergency that we're currently experiencing. And they, the, they will try their best to greenwash the fact that um, incineration does cause these long term health impacts and you cannot deny the science behind it at the end of the day, the science is there, the tests have been done. It proves how these, this ultrafine particulate matter is causing respiratory disease, childhood asthma, all those kinds of things. And you have to think of as well as how it's currently affecting people, air pollution. I mean, I'm sure you know about the story of Elikissi Deborah. that broke my heart. <laughs> um, someone that is so young and has so much of their life to live, it was taken away by the fact air pollution is such a pressing issue. It's an invisible invisible disease. And it, that's what makes it scary is that we can't see it, but we know that it's affecting us. Um, so those are the reasons as to why I believe that the authority, the, the government in terms of incineration, they may choose to overlook it. And okay. I, oh, sorry, I also found interesting is that despite the, um, the industrial emissions directive, um, you know, focusing on trying to reduce all these emissions, you know, water, air, that kind of thing that they were still looking into the incinerator plans and ticking the box and saying this is fine it's good to go when the science shows that it's not okay um we're getting very close to the end now Sorry. And, 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 no that's okay i mean you, you know we could go on for a long time and you've been incredibly eloquent on this so i mean you've done your masters now so what's the next steps for katie english is it to go on to be a research activist a professional environmentalist what do you see your future I would absolutely love to do more research into environmentalism, into activism and get more involved in activism myself. This research has truly inspired me to do so and I think it should inspire many young people to do so because this is something that's not only affecting us, it's affecting future generations. That's something we need to be mindful of. 
Um, I also want to get involved in a career that's focused on sustainability. I'm really interested in consultancy, so that's an avenue I'd like to pursue. But those are the main things, and I'm going to try my best to raise awareness about the incinerator, about the effects and the impacts it's causing. Okay, and if people wanted, if anyone wanted to find out more about your thesis and so on, um, and the information in it and, and what you're doing, how would they go about doing that? Um, I welcome them to contact me. Um, I can provide Francis with my email address um, and Francis can provide that to yourselves if you did wish to get in contact with me, even if it's just for like an informal chat, like over um, like a virtual chat over a coffee. I'm more than happy to talk to you and listen to your perspectives on it. Um, so that's how you can get in contact with me. Uh, yeah, via email. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for doing that, Katie. I mean, I think that was a wonderful interview. I think you did incredibly well and you expressed yourself you. so articulately. And, uh, you know, I think people will learn a great deal about that. And if you're ever applying for jobs and you don't get one, then they're mad because I think you, <laughs> uh, you, you will get one. You'll get one soon. I think you've done a great job there. And I think you've, you've researched it in depth. You know your subject and you can express it in a way that, you know, people understand. So, you know, thank, thank you for you so doing much. it really grateful it's been a great interview so you know we'll uh, end this interview now